Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4, please. Galatians chapter 4. This is where we'll be for our Bible study here tonight. And as we keep working our way through this letter to the churches of Galatia. And our text verses tonight are going to be verses 12 through 20. So you follow along as I read our verses here tonight. And then we'll begin to unpack some of these um, and ask the Lord to give us some truth here tonight, some encouragement from His Word. Amen? Let's begin in verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. That last phrase right there really is the whole, uh, I don't know, crux of this section right here. Our text is at verses 12 through 20, but we really should start in verse 11. And so go back to verse 11. Paul says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And so right here, sandwiched in between, is Paul's thoughts concerning the churches of Galatia, how he feared uh, for them in some ways and for some reasons. And verse 11 comes on the heels of, of what we started in chapter 4, or the last time we were here, actually. Paul makes these appeals to the Galatian churches. Paul had, had doctrinally proved that salvation was by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, and not by works. And this legalism that they had been following after the false gospel that the Judaizers had been preaching and teaching, Paul makes now an appeal to them to, to get rid of that, to dump that, and get back on track uh, in their life for Christ. They were being carried away into this false doctrine and into legalism, this perversion of the gospel, and it was is perverting them, it was going to destroy them. And so that's really the foundation of all of this here. And Paul made his first appeal to them, which we read in, in verses 8 through 10. His first appeal was, don't turn back, don't backslide, don't turn away from truth. And look at verse 9, he said, uh, he said in verse 9, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? And so he says, you're turning away. Don't do that. Don't turn again. So that was his first appeal to the Galatian believers after proving uh, doctrinally what he needed to. And Paul is stating here that he was beginning to fear that his work was coming to naught, that he had labored 
with them and sacrificed for them in vain in the ministry. And, and all that he had bestowed upon them up to this point, he was fearing that, that it was coming to nothing. Paul was a dedicated minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, every church he started, Paul had deep feelings for the converts, for these believers in Christ. He felt the same about all the churches that the Spirit of God had used him to establish. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, he said, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children. That really exemplifies the heart of Paul toward all of the believers like they were his children, like a father would entreat his children. That's how Paul felt about these people. Paul felt toward his converts as a true father would feel toward his sons. And so the fear that, that Paul is mentioning in verse 11, I'm afraid of you, not afraid of you like as people, but I'm afraid for you. And so the fear that he's talking about was not for himself, but for the believers of Galatia, his heart yearned over them. It burned for them as the heart of a loving father for his children. And so what Paul says in our text verses, verses 12 through 20, then it becomes very, very personal. It was a personal appeal that Paul is making to them like a father would make to his children. And Paul's appeal, the second appeal that we're going to talk about, his appeal to them was to rekindle affection for the minister of God. There's some really important things that Paul brings up here, and there's a few things here that Paul was afraid of for these believers. And, and so I want to bring these out tonight in this message. We'll make some applications along the way as well. What was it that Paul was fearing for these believers? That's the question that we're going to answer from these verses. Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we study your word, and Lord, that you would make the application where it's necessary. Lord, as we just seek to expound and understand the word of God here tonight, we trust that the Spirit of God will apply it in our hearts as you see fit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that Paul was afraid of for these believers was he was afraid that his example would not be followed by them. In verse 12, he says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. <clears throat> he was afraid that his example wouldn't be followed. And, and what Paul is literally saying here when he says, be as I am, for I am as you are, what he's saying here is that Paul himself had forsaken his high position as a Jew. He was born into a very elite family, and it cost Paul greatly on, on the, on, in terms of the physical and the temporal life and world, even the spiritual world that he was a part of before he was saved. It cost him a great deal to forsake that position as a Jew under the law. He had taken his place with the Gentile believers in Galatia as sinners, Hopeless, helpless, hellbound, regardless of how religious he was. He had taken his place along with them, depending completely and entirely upon the grace of God for salvation. Grace plus nothing. Faith plus nothing. But now the Galatian believers 
We're forsaking that position of grace and turning, trying to turn to what Paul's former position was under the law. And in Paul's eyes, they were so foolish. And, and that's why he said in, in chapter 3, in verse 1, O foolish Galatians. And in verse 3, he says, Are ye so foolish? In Paul's eyes, they were completely foolish in turning from grace to this system of works. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Paul says in verse 12, at the end of it, he says, For ye have not injured me at all. <clears throat> that's an interesting thought. And what we need to remember here is that there were some in the churches that were criticizing and attacking Paul, believing what the Judaizers were saying about him to the point that he had to defend himself and his ministry in chapter 1. We covered that quite extensively. How Paul says, the message I preach to you, it's not of men, it's from God. I certify this to you. And he says, do I please men or God? If I were to seek to please men, then I'm not a servant of Christ. And the, ac the accusation was by the Judaizers is that Paul was just trying to gain a following for himself and make a name for himself and a reputation. And that really, if you want to be a real Christian and a good Christian, a better Christian, then you need to add these works in to the grace of God for your salvation. And so the accusations were flying and there were those who were criticizing and attacking him. And even in the midst of that, I want you to make note of a couple facts of something that Paul, things that Paul says here, because it reveals what his heart is. Even in the midst of the criticism, even in the midst of the attacks, I want you to note that Paul still calls them brothers. In verse 12, he says, brethren. He calls them brothers. He didn't treat them as enemies. He didn't treat them as antagonists, even though they were coming at him. He didn't murmur or complain against them like they were about him. He didn't do that. He didn't attack them. The opposite is true. He sensed and expressed deep affection for them still, in spite of how they were treating him. Not only that, the Bible tells us that he beseeched them. Notice that? He says, brethren, I beseech you. He wasn't commanding. He wasn't lording. But he was pleading. He was pleading with them from a heart of a true minister of God. And the application here is the heart of a true minister of God is, is what is actually being seen here. There is love. There is care. There is affection. There is concern. There is kindness for people who had become critics of his ministry and who had become critics of his person as the minister of God. And yet there was still kindness and care and concern. Paul says, be as I am. He's saying, be as I am in affection and love. Don't turn away. Don't abandon me. Abandon me. And that really leads to the second fear that Paul had for them. The second fear that Paul had was that he feared that their reception of him had turned to rejection. Notice verses 13 through 16. He says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. 
Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Paul's fear, secondly, was that their reception of him in the beginning had now turned to rejection. Notice verse 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now it's hard to know exactly what Paul is referring to here, but many believe that Paul was referring to injuries that had resulted from that horrible stoning that he had undergone in Lystra. Go over to Acts chapter 14. Just keep your place here. And look at Acts chapter 14. So Paul says, It was through infirmity in my flesh that I came and preached the gospel to you at the first. And what is he referring to? Well, again, we don't necessarily know for sure exactly, but this definitely fits with the timeline and with the situation. In, in Acts 14 and verse 19, the Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch. Now, Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, all of those cities are in the southern part of the region of Galatia. All of these are churches that Paul had established on his missionary journey. All the Galatian churches that Paul is writing to now as we're reading through the book of Galatians. And so it was during that time that Paul was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. And so it, we can easily imagine how that's what Paul is referring to when he says through, through infirmity of the flesh is when I preach the gospel to you at the first. Now, you can imagine what kind of, I don't know, injuries Paul must have incurred from being stoned. And they thought he was dead, like they thought they had done what they were attempting to do. You can imagine the kind of injuries he must have incurred. Severely injured, probably marred and scarred as a result of that ordeal. Probably some permanent type injuries. And can you imagine, and, and I don't know exactly how that stoning went. I have read at times that, that they would dig a hole and they would bury someone in the ground mostly and so they couldn't move and then they would throw the stone rocks at them. So just their head was sticking up or from here up out of the ground. And that's how they would stone them. I've read things like that. Either way, they left him for dead. You can just imagine what kind of injuries he might have had. Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm, gonna, I'm making a point with all of this, so just stay with me. All right. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12. In verse 1, 
It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, many think that what Paul is referring to here, <clears throat> because of the abundance of revelations, lest he should be exalted above measure, the thorn in the flesh was given to him. And many think that his thorn in the flesh was severe eye problems. And many think that the severe eye problems were a direct result of the stoning that he incurred at Lystra, being hit in the head with rocks. But like I said, Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, all of those are in the southern part of the region of Galatia. The Galatians, and the point is this, the Galatians actually had much to be thankful for because in spite of Paul's infirmities of the flesh, they heard the gospel for the very first time. Paul could have quit after that. But he got up and he kept on preaching and he kept on serving the Lord. Now go back to our text in Galatians because I want you to look at verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says this, In my temptations, which would, temptation which was in my flesh, ye despise not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So now Paul talks about that infirmity how in spite of that, I preached the gospel to you. And now he reminds them that in the beginning, at the first, when I came to you the first time in weakness, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, you didn't turn away because of my infirmities. That word temptation, it means trial, my trials. They didn't despise or reject him because of his injuries, because of his troubles, but they received him as God's messenger. They received him even as they would have received Jesus Christ, he says. Talk about the, the love, right? Now look at verse 15. In verse 15, he says, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. 
Now Paul says, where is that love that you showed in the beginning? You've changed. You've changed. You used to love me so much so that it seems if you could have, you would have given me your own eyes knowing that it was a problem for me. Now, we've pointed out that Paul was brutally treated and stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. It would seem that Paul was so severely injured about the head and about the eyes that that injury not only interfered with his vision, but it also caused his facial appearance to be very unattractive. That word rejected in verse uh, um, 14, he says, "...you despise me not, nor rejected me." That word rejected, it means to spit out. And it carries the meaning and has the indication that Paul's appearance could have been so repulsive that those who looked at him would have been tempted to turn away. You can imagine how that would be true after going through what he did. They could have refused to hear the message of a man who was so marred and so scarred in his appearance. And so Paul says, where then is that blessedness you spake of? You're not treating me the same way. Back then, he said, it, there was so much love coming from you that it seems like if it was possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me so that I would benefit. But you've changed. And then he gets to verse 16. And he says, am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, why did you change? Should be the question that's asked here. Now, every true Bible witness of Jesus Christ and of God knows how easy it is for those who profess to be best friends to very quickly turn and become enemies doing the exact opposite of what they had been accustomed to do. You know what? Love and respect can turn to hatred and contempt really fast. And once, at once, or once upon a time, rather, the Galatians would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to Paul. But now, they seem to be his enemy because he refused to compromise with their legalism and also, he called them on the carpet for it. He wasn't going to compromise truth, and he was going to expose the error of their way, and all of a sudden now, he's become their enemy. Can you imagine the heart that Paul must have had here? I, I, what I read and what I sense is that Paul has a heavy heart as he pens these words. No doubt if he was saying those words to them, you'd hear the quiver in his voice as he says it to them. And as he thought about these people that he so willingly gave his life for, he feared that they had changed. Their reception had now turned to rejection. And the question was, why? The answer is because he wouldn't deviate from the truth. But you know, here's the application. We should never deviate from the message. We should never compromise the truth in order to keep the friendship of any person, no matter who that person might be. 
there's something that trumps family. There's something that trumps friendship. And it's the truth of God. It's the Word of God. It's friendship with God. Paul wouldn't compromise. They were falling away. They were turning back. Paul was calling them on the carpet for it. And now he was their enemy. You know what? If Paul was alive today, he would still be the same Paul, I think. Because he was called of God. He was ordained of God. He was commissioned of God. He was sent of God to preach a message. Therefore, he preached the gospel of God. That's why Paul said in chapter 1 in verse 10, For I, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul had feared for them. And he had feared that their reception of him had turned to rejection. But the reason was because they weren't following truth anymore. There's a third thing that he feared. We see that in verses 17 and 18 if you turn over back to our text in chapter 4 and look at verse 17 and 18. What we find here is that Paul feared that they would ultimately end up following false teachers. He said in verse 17, "...they, they speaking of the Judaizers, zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I am present with you. Literally what Paul is saying here is they zealously seek after you, but it's not in a good way. And he says here that they actually would desire to shut you out, that you would start to seek after them. In other words, what he's saying is they are doing the very thing that they accused me of doing with you, of just trying to gain a following trying to gain as big a following as they can to make a name for themselves, preaching a false gospel, friends, and you're falling for it. That's why he said in chapter 1, I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let me just say this. Not, it's not something that you don't know, but it is a good reminder. <clears throat> not everybody who stands in a pulpit is God's preacher. Not everyone who claims to be a preacher and has a degree is truly God's preacher. You know what? The devil always has a cheap counterfeit for everything good that God has provided in Christ. And we ought to beware of the preacher or the layperson who comes in with a different doctrine, with a different way of, 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 of or a different idea of what is true or what is truth, who comes in with a mixture of grace and works, a mixture of anything with grace. It's false because law and grace cannot coexist. The truth of God is the standard. And Jesus said to beware in Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets. 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You know what? There are people who can come into the church, men who can creep in unawares, too, who have a different doctrine. They can come in all, you know what they do? They like, to, they like to talk to people. They like to draw people to themselves. They're very charming. They like to bring and draw people in. But in reality, they have an agenda. I've seen it before. And usually those kind, they don't, they don't go after the ones who are stable in the church. You know what they usually do? They go after the, the visitors who come in the, in the doors. Visitors come in the doors, and they're the first ones there to talk to them, and they're so charming, and they're so sweet, and they draw them in. They want to affect them. And that's what the Judaizers were doing with these Galatian believers. But Jesus said you should be aware of people like that. And he all, then he says you're going to know them, actually. You're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to know them by what their life actually produces. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 30, Paul said to the elders of the church at Ephesus when he called them together, he said, Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. What's their motive? To gain a following. 2 Peter 2.1 But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In the end, they're going to get what's coming. But through feigned words, they make merchandise. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 18, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There's a reason why people end up leaving. And many times, it's because they weren't really actually of us. They wouldn't abide or stay by the truth. And Paul was fearful that these Galatian believers would ultimately end up following these false teachers to their ruin and to their destruction. Now look at verse 19 and verse 20. We see the, the last thing that Paul was fearful of here. We find here that he feared for their spiritual condition. In verse 19, he says, <coughs> My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. That's a strong statement. When Paul is saying, I stand in doubt of you, it seems that what he's really saying is, I'm afraid that you Galatians or some of you may not actually even be saved. Paul feared that they had not fully 
and wholeheartedly accepted the grace of God. Why would they turn again? I'm perplexed. Why would you turn from the grace of God? And let me say this to you by way of application. It is altogether possible for a person to go a very long way to demonstrate what seems to be real Christianity and yet not truly be born again. I think it's very evident that that is true. There are some who receive the Word and they shoot up like a rocket. Oh, they've got to be saved. Look at, look at their life. But then they come falling down like a rock. And at the end of the day, when the heat starts to come, when the heat starts to show up, it chokes them out. And people can put on a show and they can pretend to be Christians and they can do all the right things and they can be a part of a church for years and years and years and end up actually not even being truly saved. The wheat and the tares. person can do all the right things. They can start out good. They seem to be real Christians, but yet not truly be born again. You know what? You can't look at somebody and declare that they're saved. You can't even listen to somebody's testimony and just vow that that person is saved. Sometimes people know the right things to say. You know, the point is, it's not up to us to decide. The Lord knows. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is the real proof of salvation is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within and what He produces over time in a person's life is going to be so much different than what the flesh produces in someone's life. By their fruit you shall know them. Your flesh is not going to produce anything spiritual. A person who truly loves the Lord and has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, the Spirit of God is going to produce fruit and it is going to be evident that it's of the Lord. That's, that's the Spirit of God that does that. The flesh is going to produce something so, so different. And that's exactly what Paul gets to in chapter 5 of Galatians when he talks about the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. We'll cover all of this, but just look over there in Galatians 5. <clears throat> look what he says in verse 12. I would that they were even cut off which trouble you. He's talking about the Judaizers. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty... Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And here's what the flesh produces. The for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lasciviousness, those are all physical things. And then he says idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, that's hostility, that's opposition. Variance, that's quarreling, emulations, wrath, that's anger (coughs) to the point of, of hatred, strife, that's factions and contentions, seditions, that's disunion and division, heresies, envyings, that's jealousy and spite, murders, drunkenness, revelings, all of those are attitudes of the heart that produce things. That's what the flesh produces. But then you get to verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, man, that's just the opposite. <laughs> what the Spirit of God produces is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness, temperance. Man, that's a completely different picture, isn't it? By their fruit. What is the fruit of their life? What I'm saying is the real proof is what the Holy Spirit produces in a person's life over time is going to be so much different than what the flesh produces over time. If you look back at verse 19, (coughs) Paul says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. It was difficult for Paul in writing a letter to make these Galatians realize just how deeply concerned he was for them. That's why he says, I wish I was with you so I could see you, so I could see for myself, and maybe my tone would change. Maybe my voice would change in this if I could see you for myself. It was hard for him to get across just how deeply concerned he was for them. He was perplexed about them. He was concerned about their spiritual condition. But the application is this. That's exactly what a true minister is and does. He's concerned about the spiritual well-being of his people. He holds believers in his heart as dear children. Paul calls them little children. His heart is tender. His heart is warm. His heart is caring. His heart is protecting. His heart is providing for the church. And listen, the moment that a pastor loses that kind of a heart is the moment he needs to be done. Not only does he hold them as dear children, he also agonizes over their growth. Notice what he says at the second part of verse 19. He says, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What was the main purpose and the main emphasis and the main desire and goal that Paul had for the people? That Christ would be formed in them. He agonized over their spiritual growth. He wanted Christ to be formed in the saints, to be made more and more like Jesus Christ, focusing on Christ, not himself. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and he said to them, he says, what I want for you is that you put off the old man and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 
He wanted Christ to be formed in them. And that is the focus of a true minister of God. Listen, what you need is that you have a relationship with Christ, that you're all that you can be for Christ, and you have a relationship with Christ, and you want to please the Lord, and you want to please the Lord, and you want to please the Lord, and all of us together have a mind that we want to grow into the image of Jesus Christ, that He would be exalted. Not only does a minister hold them in his heart as dear children. Not only does he agonize over their spiritual growth, but he will also guard the church against error. That's exactly what Paul was trying to do here in all of this, was to protect them <coughs> and to guard against error. Paul said in Philippians 3.18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Paul said, I've warned you before, I warn you again, that there are those who are not true to Christ. Their God is their belly. They serve themselves. And I want to protect you from that. That's the heart of a true minister. And so Paul's appeal to the church, his second appeal is to reaffirm or reestablish and rekindle affection for the minister of God. There were those who were attacking him. There were those who were criticizing him. And he said to them, am I your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? I'm actually trying to protect you and care for you, and help you get back on track. And so Paul's appeal is, don't turn back. Dump this legalism. Get back on track. And you know what? Many times when people get crosswise, or people start to backslide, one of the very first things to go is their relationship with their pastor. I've seen it many times before. And Paul says, you used to love me. <laughs> there was a point in time when we were close and you'd basically do anything for me, but you've changed. Why have you changed? It's because he wouldn't compromise. And he was calling them on the carpet for where they were starting to stray. And a lot of times that's what the case is. Instead of humbly submitting and yielding to the Lord, they start to bristle up. And so Paul says, am I your enemy now because I'm telling you the truth? It's a sad thing. Sad thing. And Paul says, I want you back on track. I love you as my dear children. I want to see Christ formed in you. Let's get back in the right way. Amen. That's a good appeal. And the next thing that Paul's going to talk to them about, you see in verse 21, he says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? His next appeal is going to be like, do you actually know what the law says and what the law is saying? And he's going to talk about, <clears throat> use a couple of examples from the Old Testament to help make this point again. And so we'll continue this. 
Not for a couple of weeks though, or a few weeks though, because a week from today our team leaves for Lebanon, and Brother Gerth will be preaching next week, uh, next Wednesday night, the next two Wednesday nights in fact, and uh, we'll pick this up again um, at some point later on, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd use your word tonight as you see fit, and as we work our way through these passages, and we explain them and and expound on them, Lord, I, I trust that you'll use them uh, where you see fit. Lord, just encourage our hearts that we have the truth, and Lord, I pray that we would all have the heart and the desire to have Christ formed in us more and more. And that is the reason, uh, for one of the reasons for which we're saved, that we are foreordained, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to submit to that. In Jesus' name, amen.